we're nearing the end of our summer series on the book of Isaiah, uh, mainly because we're nearing the end of summer, uh, and it's a summer series. Today's our final look at the theme of justice that we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Today, we, we, we wrap that up. Uh, over these past weeks, we've looked at the two sides of justice. We've looked at um, retributive justice, where God uh, is punishing those who have done wrong. It's the, it's the side of justice that we're most familiar with. We've looked at restorative justice. Uh, that is the idea of imitating God's heart to restore dignity uh, to the marginalized people so they can flourish as image, image bearers. We define the marginalized as those who have been pushed aside by society, pushed to the fringes. Uh, the Bible calls them orphans, widows, uh, uh, immigrants and the poor. We can add many, many categories in the 21st century, Southern California here. Um, and, and we did that. We've seen God's heart for doing justice. He has a, he has a heart for the marginalized. That's, that's his passion. That's his desire. And we, 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 we can imitate his heart by entering in. The phrase that we used is the way we, we enter into those people's lives. Last week, we saw that sin and all kinds of excuses keep us, stop us, prevent us from entering in, and that Jesus came to redeem us from that sin so that we can enter in even when it is hard or messy or costly or difficult to enter in. This morning, we're mostly going to be in Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, so you can turn there. Uh, the ushers have Bibles. If you want a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll give you one. Isaiah 58. And we're going we're gonna to look at how we need to change. How many like change? Okay, there's one of you out there. Um, but we're going to look at how we need to change in order to imitate God's heart. Because I would suggest it doesn't come naturally. But as we change to imitate God's heart um, and do genuine, we, we will do genuine restorative justice, not just go through the motions. And that's, that's a danger that's, that's always in place here. Now, this has been an interesting mini-series as we've talked about over the last few weeks. If this is your first time here, you need to go back and listen to the last four weeks or the last three weeks. Well, listen to everything, but you know, the last three weeks especially. Um, Dealing with this theme of justice from Isaiah, I think it's a bit new to us. It's a bit new to me. Uh, studying and preparing to preach these three sermons has forced me into learning more about this whole area, this whole issue. Many of you have told me about your struggle to figure out what this means in your life. And, and some of you have come with kind of figuratively scratching your head saying, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, and I even had one person say, I don't, I don't want to do anything with this. Um, and so it's going to take time to process. This is a process. Um, there'll be more questions. We're, we're, we're going to bang up against problems, and we're going to try to figure out how to do this, and it's going to take time. But if you're like me, and I assume you are, we need to change. We need to change what we believe about God. We need to change what we believe about God's character. We need to change what we believe uh, the Bible teaches about God's heart and make sure our beliefs are in line with Scripture. Uh, especially in light of the study, as I'm reading Scripture, as I'm reading the Bible, it's like this, this, this restorative justice is all over the place in Scripture. And I honestly am scratching my head thinking, how have I missed this over the last decades of walking with Jesus. 
So we need to change what we believe. We need to change how we understand Scripture. But we also need to change our passions and our desires. We need to change our actions, what we do and how we, how we respond. And so all three of those areas need to be aligned. Our beliefs, our desires, and our actions. Now, over the last three weeks, we've dealt heavily with our beliefs about restorative justice. What's the Bible teach about it? How do we understand it? But today, I want to focus on these other two areas, our desire or our passion for restorative justice and our actions that bring about justice in the world. So that's where we're going. First of all, we need to change our desires and our passions so they reflect God's heart. Let's jump into this. Israel did a lot of religious stuff back in their day. They had sacrifices and they had feasts and they had ceremonies. They, they had these ritual fastings and ritual washings. They did a lot of Sabbath keeping. They had all this kind of religious stuff that they did. Just like we have a lot of religious stuff that we do, right? We attend church, we read our Bibles, we pray, we serve serve in ministries around the church in various capacities or around the community, we go on missions trips, and we have all this stuff that we do. In chapter 58 of Isaiah, he is exposing the heart behind these things. Isaiah presents a scathing rebuke to Israel He calls them on their religious activity that has no heart and no genuine passion behind it. This is so important. This is is so critical because they thought they were doing good. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to do. They thought they were doing right stuff. But they were deceived. They were just going through the motions. And that's got to be a warning to us sitting here today warning us about superficial Christianity. Are we just going through the motions of what we think God wants, but missing his heart? Maybe missing it completely, maybe missing it a little bit. Superficial faith is all about external conformity to rules and activities rather than a heart passion for a relationship with Jesus. Isaiah is warning us that we better be sure that the way we think we should live this Christian life actually reflects God's heart for how we should live this Christian life. And so the question, one of the questions I want to ask is, are we truly building a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ? Or are we just going through the motions of churchianity, Christianity? churchy stuff. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 58. Let's walk through this text. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. The point there is, shout it out. This is really important. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So what's coming here is a catalog of the ways that Israel has sinned and missed the heart of God. Verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. 
So in verse two, Isaiah is describing people who are seemingly serious followers of God. You see that? These are people who seek God every day. We would call them good church-going Christians who are serious about their faith. They come to church every week. They serve in ministries within the church. They're, They're part of a community group. They read their Bibles, all this stuff. Actually, I would love for verse two to describe me. That's a good description. But there's a problem. Verse three. Why have we fasted? And so now Israel is responding to God with this question. Why have we fasted and and you didn't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and and you, you don't even know we did that? In other words, we're doing all the right churchy things, God. I mean, you don't, but you don't even seem to care. Don't you see our, our service? Didn't you just see how much money I put in the offering basket when it went by? I mean, I go to church every week. And if there was two services, I'd go to both of them. Well, we do have two services, but they're the same thing. Um, I mean, we're doing the right things, God. Well, God answers their question, and he explains the problem. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. See that? The way you're fasting, the way you're doing your religious stuff is such that I won't even hear you. Wow. So here it is. Here's here's the sin. Here's the problem. Here is the way we miss God's heart. You're fasting, he says to Israel. Your churchy stuff, he says to us, is all about you. It's all about you. It's to make you feel good. You seek your own pleasure in your spiritual activities. You aren't fair to the people around you. You come to church and smile on the good, but then you go to work and you oppress people and you marginalize people. You end up fighting about how loud the music is and how small the parking lot is. You keep on like this, God says, and he is not even going to hear your prayers. You're just going through the motions. And the danger is that we might not even realize that we're only going through the motions. And and the greater danger is we might not even be true, genuine followers of Jesus. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so dangerous. I was talking to a pastor recently, and this is a true story. He was telling me about their church board that was having a meeting, and they were disagreeing over, I don't even know what the issue was, but they literally ended up in a fist fight. Just what what the text says. You fast to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Now, do you suppose that church board missed the heart of God? Do you think maybe their passion for God was superficial? I mean, we've had some knockdown, drag out fights as elders, but we've never hit each other. <laughs> no, we haven't. God goes on in verse 5, and he says, Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Again, this sounds good. Humble yourself. That's good. 
Do all the external things that look like I'm following God. Spreading sackcloth and ashes was an ancient Near Eastern way to look humble and repentant. We have our own versions today, don't we? Bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hands when we sing, uh, say good Christian churchy words and phrases to each other. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) See, now that's genuine spirituality. Um, Maybe we shed a few tears now and then just to look like we're humble and repentant. Those are all good things, or at least they can be good things. But God says, do you really think I care more about the external acts of fasting rather than your heart? I don't. If, if you don't have a heart in this, if you're, if you're not genuinely passionate for me and a relationship with me, just quit fasting. And I think I almost want to say, if you don't have a genuine passion for Jesus, don't even come to church. Other than maybe you'll get the passion here. Get under conviction. But quit doing this stuff for the wrong reasons. Don't just go through the motions. It's such a dangerous place to be. God says in verse 6, Now, here is how I know you're genuine about your faith. Okay, Israel was was superficial. They were going through the motions. There was no heart or passion for God. But in verse 6, this is how we know it's authentic. And he says this, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? This word flesh here probably refers to your own flesh and blood. And I think think we could say it's, it's the family of God. Don't hide yourself from helping out our own people. This is the crux of the matter. Here is the indicator that our religion, our Christianity, our faith in God really is genuine and not superficial. A genuine heart, faith, passion for Jesus will do restorative justice. They'll reach out to the marginalized, will enter into their lives to restore dignity. We will have the same desires and the passions that God does, and we've already seen that God has a, has a deep heart and a deep passion for the marginalized. All in the name of seeing all humanity, all people, all creation restored to its original God-given purpose and intent, all to bring ultimate glory to God. You see, it's not about looking good or doing the right things. It's not about the front or the facade. I'm sorry, but genuinely following Jesus is not neat and tidy. It's messy and confusing. God does things in our lives sometimes that that just throw us for a loop. I'm sure the shearers are asking a lot of questions this week. Uh, Probably if they're like me, they're saying, uh, God, we gave our lives to bring the Bible to the Nagi people, and you're doing this? They're probably more spiritual than I am, and they're not asking those questions. But, 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 but God does things in our walk with him that just look messy and wrong. 
It doesn't seem to fit with how way, the way we think sh- things should go. And entering into people's lives for restoration, entering into to the lives of the marginalized to bring dignity and hope and salvation will be messy and hard and exhausting and costly. Parenting well, entering into your kids' lives is messy. Right, parents? I mean, when they're first born, it's literally messy, and then as they get older, it's more figuratively messy. But it's always messy. Doing marriage well, entering into your spouse's life is, is, is messy and confusing sometimes. Teaching children, mentoring students, discipling adults, entering into people's lives does not conform to a set of rules or standards. But we don't like messy, do we? Do we? Maybe some of you do, but typically we don't, we don't like messy. We, we like neat and tidy. And so we miss the heart of God so that we can keep things neat and tidy and we end up doing way too much of the right things and going through the motions and creating rules so that we can keep things neat and tidy. And we miss the fact that a genuine heart that follows hard after Jesus cares about the marginalized and, and any people and all people in our lives and we enter in, even when it's messy, in a, in a genuine heart relationship, passion for Jesus, does not consist of rules or duties or lists of tasks. James kind of summarizes this when he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. In other words, not going through the motions, not being superficial, but genuine, pure, honest, gut-level relationship with Jesus is this to visit orphans and widows in their infliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What Isaiah and James are saying here is that if we are not entering into the lives of, the pe- of people that God has placed in our, in our path, then there's something superficial about our heart for God, that our desire for God, our passion for Jesus is not based on God's heart and the things that he is passionate about, but it's based on our own desires of what we want it to mean to follow Jesus. Now, there's a lot of ways to be superficial in our, in our religious activities, but the key factor that Isaiah 58 points out here is how we treat the marginalized. We have a great example of this in the New Testament, the Pharisees. These were serious, intense religious leaders who totally missed the heart of God. They knew the Bible, they knew the scriptures, they followed the rules, they looked good, they wore the right clothes to church, they had a big ESV study Bible that they carried everywhere they went, they, they volunteered for trunk or treat, they even volunteered for VBS. I mean, they did all the right things. They actually, the Pharisees literally actually tithed the spices in their cupboard. They were so serious about their faith in God that they would go through and tithe everything in their house. But they had no qualms about putting out on the street a widow who couldn't pay her debts. They totally missed the heart of God. Look at this. Woe to you. This is Jesus just scathingly coming after them. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice, restorative justice, and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, and then he adds this, without neglecting the others. See, the other things are good. The other things are okay. We should tithe. We should carry our Bibles to church. We should do these things. Luke 20, 47, he says, but you devour widows' houses. Superficial. Just going through the motions. Totally miss the heart of God. We've got to search our hearts on this. We've got to ask God to reveal to us where are we being superficial? Where are we being external in our religious practices? Where are we creating rules instead of relationship? Where are we just going through the motions? When I was younger, and I'll just leave it at that, because yesterday I was younger, much younger, I was very rigid with my quiet time. Now, I would love to say I was disciplined, but I really think it was more twisted than that. I had to have a certain amount of time to spend in reading and praying, so, I, so whatever my obligations were for the day, I had, to, I had to back up and get up early enough to do that. I had my Bible, I had my notebook, I had the right pens and pencils to do that. I had a, a memory verse system in a, three, in a three by five card file, and I had little tabs for the, the different verses I was memorizing. Now, my desire was to develop my relationship with Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's what we should do, right? I mean, that's a good thing. And everything I just said is not bad. In fact, I would encourage discipline in your walk with Jesus, just like I'd encourage you in your relationship with your kids and in your spouse and in your roommates and in your friends. But I really believe that I had a subtle superficiality going on. It was more dependent on, on doing the right things, on rules. I would read a book about a great hero of the faith. Oh, I got to do that too. That's what he did. He got up at four every morning. I need to get up at four every morning. And I would, I would get into this, this superficial, external kind of going through the motions. Again, motives were, motives were good, I think. But I was more dependent on the rules than following the heart of God and seeking after a relationship with Jesus. I have learned and I'm continuing to learn that my relationship with Jesus is more fluid than that. Maybe even I would say it's messy. That the rigidity was stifling and superficial, that I can't conform to rules in building a relationship. I can't build a relationship with a person just by going through the motions. It takes the right heart, it takes a passion, it takes a desire. Of course, as I'm thinking through this, I think, I'm thinking about uh, my own marriage. Now, I could, I could do all the right things in marriage with my wife. I could follow the rules. I could get flowers on our anniversary. I could, I could give her cards. I could, you know, uh, take the trash out. You know, I could follow all these rules that make a good marriage. I've read a lot of books on marriage, and I could, I could follow those rules, but if I have a passion for my wife, I don't need rules. 
because I will love her selflessly and I will do for her selflessly and I will do whatever it takes to love her and spend time with her and be with her and build a relationship with her. And I don't need rules. Over the years, we've thrown a lot of rules out. For a lot of years, forget flowers. She doesn't even like flowers, so I don't get flowers on anniversary. Forget all that. Well, in later years, it's like, okay, I like flowers now. Okay, I got to remember that you do like flowers. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> Marriage is messy. Um, what's, what's the latest? Flowers, no flowers. Yep. Up, yep. Oh, okay, flowers, still flowers. Um, but it's not about rules, it's about passionately loving her and learning how she is changing and what she wants and what says I love you to her. That's the same way with Jesus. It's not about rules. It's not about notebooks and card file systems and the right pencils. It's about being so passionately in love with Jesus that I will do whatever it takes to love him and build this relationship with him. It's not going through the motions. It's being in love with a person. And that's messy. Now, if you, would, if you would analyze my quiet time today, you would discover it's far more fluid. I like that word, fluid, than it used to be. I still have some notebooks around, and I still have a Bible reading system, and I still have all that stuff, and sometimes I just blow it off. And I just sit out in the patio and sit. And just, I'll pray, sort of, talk to Jesus a little bit, but just be in his presence. I think we need to stop and consider a minute, maybe more than a minute. My question is not if, but where are we living our faith in Christ in a superficial kind of way? Ask yourself these questions. Where am I living my faith in Christ, my relationship with Jesus in a superficial kind of way? Where am I just going through the motions? Where am I adhering to rules rather than building a relationship? Where am I missing the heart of God, especially as it relates to the marginalized? Do I understand that the, the heart of God is to restore his rule and reign over this fallen world? He's passionate about that. That's what he's, that's what he's driving towards. And me entering into the lives of the marginalized and restoring dignity to them is, is getting on board with what he is passionate about doing. So think about these questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you need to change. Where am I living my faith in Christ in a superficial kind of way? Where am I just going through the motions? Where am I adhering to rules rather than relationship? Where am I missing the heart of God? So we should have this passion for entering into the lives of the marginalized because God has a passion for the marginalized. So the logical question then becomes, what does that look like? How do I do that? And that's the second area that we need to work on changing, and that is our actions toward the marginalized. We've worked on our beliefs over the last few weeks, just covered our passions and desires. Let's talk about our actions. Now, I wanted to end this mini-series on justice with some practical steps on how to enter in, on what to do, on ways we can do it, give you ideas, give, give some suggestions, and me, and me ideas too. 
But if we don't believe that God has a heart for the marginalized, if we don't have the same desire and passion that he does, then anything we do will be just more of the same superficial religion and going through the motions. Do you see that? Don't, don't take these ideas and add them to your list of rules. Oh, okay, now I got to do that. So yes, here are some practical suggestions. Here's some ideas that we're going to talk about. But, but let them flow out of your relationship with Jesus. This isn't about guilting us into doing something. Let me give you one big overarching principle, and then I want to expand it a little bit. And again, please understand, these are my early attempts at processing. I think this is an ongoing conversation. I have no doubt some of you have thought through this far more than I have. But, but let me just, let's, let's just talk about this. Restorative justice, entering into the lives of the marginalized, is doing what actually causes them to flourish, to thrive in life. They're image bearers, and we want to restore dignity to their lives. Because quite often we're talking about homeless, we're talking about poor, uh, we're talking about people that have been pushed to the fringes. It's not just doing what I think they need or what makes me feel good or is convenient for me. I think so often that's what we do. Like, oh, well, I can drop a few bucks in the guy's hat. It's doing what causes them to flourish. So how do we do that? How do we know what will cause them to flourish? Here's some thoughts. Number one, we minister with the poor and the homeless and the disabled, not to them. Within the Cornerstone family, as, as what we're talking about here, it's, it's ministering with them. It's causing them and all of us, and I just said them, and I don't mean them because it's all us, it's calling all of us to flourish, to restore dignity where it has been robbed. That requires a change in our thinking, a change in our attitude. The marginalized that are members of our church, all of us work together to fulfill the Great Commission. There should never be an us and them mentality. We are all us, right? This is us. There is no them. The body needs to include all kinds of uses. That's the plural of us, right? Us as. We need all kinds of uses within us. Parts part of us. What else? Honestly, we need to honestly share burdens with one another. It's, it's, it's saying... I need help. Or it's, it's being honest and telling someone, you know, the, 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 that slate floor is beautiful, but it's really hard on wheelchairs and walkers. Or it's telling us, hey, I have a deaf friend that would love to come to church if you had signing here. It's us. It's, it's sharing such things that we don't even see. I was talking to someone recently about some of these issues, and, and he was pointing out some of the parts of our building that I wasn't even conscious of that make it very, very difficult for a person in a wheelchair. It's like, we're not even thinking like that. But we should be, because that's us. It's all of us. It's more than a handout. Causing someone to flourish is not just a handout. It's not just writing a check or handing someone some cash. They hear, you know, go, eat, get some food. 
Well, it might be writing a check, it might be handing out some cash, but it's so much more. Which means it's going to take some time and some work and some investment and some energy to figure out how to best cause that person to flourish. Yeah, it's messy and it's confusing. It's hard. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. But remember, we enter in even when. Our son, Taylor, worked on Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles for for a while. He worked with a group that was teaching the homeless to weld. He got to know some of the homeless men that lived on the street, and he saw some fascinating attempts to minister to the homeless, not with the homeless. Sunday afternoon, he tells the story. Sunday afternoon, all these nice, shiny new cars would show up, probably from Orange County. I don't know. I'm just, I just said that. Um, I lived in Orange County, County so I can, I can say that. Um, they would show up, and they would open their trunks, and they would start passing out clean socks and water bottles and Subway sandwiches and toothpaste and so on. They'd all leave. Taylor said the next day there were socks and water bottles and Subway sandwiches and toothpaste for sale all over Skid Row. They didn't need socks and water bottles and Subway sandwiches and toothpaste. I learned, and I don't know that this, I don't know the facts on this, but, but Taylor learned from talking to these guys that, that they, they make a certain amount of money, government subsidy, enough to live on on the street. They don't need money. They don't need food. They're fine. Now, the organization that my son worked for had a better perspective. They were teaching these men to weld, and they were welding up these little ambulance, one-person ambulance carts that would be sent to Africa. They were doing what would actually cause these homeless men to flourish and restore some dignity back into their lives. Yeah, it was messy. Guys dropped out of the program. Some of the welding had to be redone. But some of them got certified and moved on to jobs. Doing genuine justice is doing what causes the marginalized to actually flourish and thrive as image bearers and restore dignity back to their lives. It's not soothing our own consciences. We need change in our desires and in our actions. So how do we change? Three answers. Not very well, not very quickly, and not very easily. You agree with that? We have an amen? What if I don't have this passion? What if I don't want to have this passion? Well, can we start with, I want to want to change? And if that doesn't work, go back another one. If we're truly followers of Jesus, I would think we'd want to imitate God's heart. A couple suggestions. First of all, we need to confess our superficiality is sin. We need to repent. We need to confess to God that our heart is not aligned with his heart. It's sin to ignore the marginalized. It's sin to ignore restorative justice. It's sin to just go through the motions and, and have no passion or desire and just follow rigid rules and standards. It's sin to do all those things instead of building a relationship. And so we need Jesus to forgive us and restore us. We need the Holy Spirit 
We will never enter into the lives of the marginalized in our own strength. It's got to take the Holy Spirit to, to, to give us the desire, the passion, the energy, the wisdom, the ability to do it. We'll never expose the superficiality in our lives apart from the Holy Spirit because by definition, going through the motions and being superficial, we're deceived. We think we're doing good. Israel thought they were doing great. The Pharisees thought they were doing wonderful. They were deceived. And even when Jesus exposed them, they didn't get it. So it's going to take a lot of spiritual work for us to see those places in those areas. A couple over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the Holy Spirit show up. The, the, two weeks ago, we saw in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah said. And then Jesus quoted, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It takes the Spirit of God. Last week in Isaiah 59, as for me, this is my covenant, says the Lord, my Spirit that is upon you. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him for help. If you're sitting there going, I don't want to, I don't want to do this, then just, just pray, Lord, make me want to. Open my eyes to see and understand. And then ask, for, ask God for ways to enter in with a genuine heart. Now, I'm going to show several slides here. Uh, if you want to get your phones ready to take pictures of these slides, I'm warning you right now, that's okay. Uh, do that. Um, these are just some ideas about how you could enter in to the lives of the marginalized. Here's four books that I've read. The first one, uh, Generous Justice, we've talked about, Christians talked about, just a great introduction, overview of this whole issue of restorative justice. Um, Welcoming the Stranger is, uh, I'm about halfway through that book right now about the issue of immigration. Gigantic, huge issue in the news and in our culture right now, huge. This will give you a biblical perspective on how to think through that issue of immigration. Good News to the Poor by Tim Chester. Uh, same, same idea, biblical perspective on how we deal with the poor, and by definition and extension to all the marginalized. And then When Helping Hurts, this has been around for quite a while. Excellent book, primarily focused on, on missions and how missionaries, what we've done to hurt the, the cause of the gospel by the way we help. And I remember on a missions trip to Russia, talking with a young couple, and I, I, you know, I had money, and I just, I gave him money. And I thought, that, thinking back, did that help? I mean, we know that the pocket change we have could probably support a pastor for a year in a lot of parts of the world. But is that the best way to help? This coming Saturday, there's a, a disability open forum seminar here at Cornerstone. Is, Stan, are you in here? Stan? Crawford? No. Stan will be one of the moderators of this. Um, it's this, this Saturday morning right here at Cornerstone. If you want to come and just have a conversation about how to minister to the disabled, you can RSVP at those numbers. Children's Hunger Fund sponsors something they call Poverty Encounter. How many of you have been to it or planning to go to it? Yeah, I know a lot of our community groups are, are going and scheduling. Would you recommend it? Okay. Um, I'm going to suggest... Those of you that are here in my community group, I'm going to suggest that this, we have an activity for one of the months. This is mine right here. Uh, um, uh, anyway, this is, uh, it, it's some kind of a, of a immersion experienced into poverty without becoming poor yourself. It's kind of lame, I guess, on that way, but that sounds like it's really good. Sorry, I didn't mean that. Um, and then 
Wow, you can't even see that. Uh, Cornerstone has a homeless dinner once a month. Uh, we have a food pantry where we give out food every Monday morning. Is that right? Uh, in the wintertime, we open up Jack's Shoes. We call it pads where the homeless can come and sleep uh, for, for a night. Uh, I think ours is Monday night through the winter. Um, you can email care at cornerstonecme.com. Um, for any information on our care ministries, on things that we do, on, on places and ways to get involved. But please, don't react out of guilt. Don't be hasty in entering in. Spend some time processing and thinking through and praying and seeking God's will. God, what would you have me to do? Don't add entering in to, the, to the, your list of religious duties that you need to do. Instead, as you keep building your relationship with Jesus, ask him to show you what he wants you to do. God is a great, gracious, loving God. He wants a relationship with us, a living, active, dynamic, changing relationship. He wants our passion. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to follow rules or jump through hoops. He wants us to be in love with him. Let me make one final suggestion. Several months ago, I was, uh, I think it was after the service, talking to people. And I went up and introduced myself to someone I didn't know. And I said, they've been coming to Cornerstone for, I don't know, six or eight months, something like that. And they told me, you're the first person that's come up and talked to me. Whew. I was embarrassed. So one way that we can enter in is look around. Is there, is there anybody in this room that you don't know? Is, is there anybody in here that knows everybody in the room? Okay. Find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself. Yeah, but what if, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Say, hi, my name is Chris. Don't say Chris. Say what your name is. And a great, don't say, are you new here? Because, no, I've been coming for 23 years. Say, how long have you been coming to Cornerstone? Great, this is my first week, or I've been coming for 23 years. Either way, you can then go from there. Let's enter into the lives of our own family. Lord Jesus, thank you that you want a relationship with us, that what you ask of us is not rules and hoops and superficial things. Lord, thank you for teaching me over the years not to be so rigid in my relationship with you, but to fall in love with you, and then out of that comes how we interact. Lord, you make it clear in Isaiah that, that entering into the lives of the marginalized is your passion, and so it should be our passion. And so as we think through this, as we pray through this, as we process this, teach us, show us what it is you would have each of us to do. For your glory, Father, for you, for you to be exalted, not, not to make me feel good, but so that you get the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.